But welcome to Lakeshore. We're so glad you're with us today. If, you're, if you've connected with us online, we're glad you have found us there. And uh, we, we want to get the word out any way that we can. And online is one of those ways that we do that. And we're glad for those that are in our services live today. There was a time when I was in college. It was my sophomore year. I wanted to get preaching experience as early as I could. So there was this church out in the country that uh, a long way from the school, but just uh, down in middle Georgia. We were, I was going to school in Atlanta. But on the weekends, I got this, this job where I would go on the weekends and preach at a very small country church. In fact, I'm going to go back there and visit with them again uh, this coming summer. I, I love the fact that I can reconnect with them. Great, great group of people there. But there I, I was preaching on the weekends, and I got a call that somebody connected to the church had died, and they wanted me to do the funeral. I had never done a funeral before in my life. I had hardly even attended but a, just a few funerals. And when you're attending a funeral, you're not really paying attention like you're going to be the preacher doing a funeral, right? Uh, so I, I wasn't prepared really for all of that. But I, I talked to some professors at college and asked them to give me some advice and got some good instruction on how to do a funeral. And, and I had never been in a funeral procession before. But the, uh, uh, the, we had the service, and then we were going to the graveside, and I had to get in the procession. They put my car in behind the hearse, which they do a lot with the pastors in a funeral procession. So I, I'm in the car by myself behind the hearse. Now, I'm a sophomore in college, and finals were coming up, and, and my mind is on, I got to get back to Atlanta as soon as I can and get ready for finals. I've got to really study and prepare. So I'm supposed to be following the hearse, but I lost track for just a moment of where I was and what I was doing because my mind was on the finals. And all of a sudden, in my mind, this tells you where my mind goes, right? I'm thinking this traffic sure is slow. <laughs> just for a moment. And I actually pulled out to see if I could pass. <laughs> Thankfully, I realized as soon as I pulled out, that's a hearse in front of me. And I'm a pastor in a funeral procession. And I whipped it back in real fast. And then looked around like I was dodging something. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you got to cover yourself at times like that, right? You see, when you're supposed to be following someone, you got to pay attention, right? you got to really be paying attention if you're going to follow them. If not, bad things can happen. Later on, many years after I was preaching here, uh, I was doing a funeral, and we had a long funeral procession. I mean, it was a big funeral, a lot of people there, and a lot of cars were going to the cemetery after the service. And they put me in line again, and we're going to the procession, to the uh, graveside, and I'm following the hearse, and there are policemen out there, you know, blocking off intersections and getting the processional through and all of that, which is really good. I appreciate our officers doing that. It's a great service. And so they're guiding us in. And then I see the hearse. We finally get to the, uh, to the uh, funeral home where the graveyard is. And the hearse pulls in to the right there where the cemetery is. And, I'm, of course, all of us are pulling in. We all pull in behind the hearse. And I mean it's a long line of cars. But I noticed the hearse when he pulled in went slower than usual and at every little crossroad in the cemetery he stopped and looked around and then would start going again. And I thought, man, there's no traffic in here. I don't know why he's doing that. And he just kept going all the way through to the end of the cemetery, stopping at every little crossroad and looking around again. 
Well, all we know to do is to follow the hearse. And the hearse, we didn't know, didn't know where he was going. Didn't know where the grave site was. And so finally the hearse, all of us cars behind him, pulls around to the offices there where the funeral offices are, where the cemetery offices are. We all are in a procession following the hearse up to the office there. He gets out, goes in and gets directions and comes back. And then he takes off again all the way back through the cemetery. We had to cross the road. The graveside was on the other side of the road. And so the police officer had already left. And now we got to get everybody across the road. And this is a busy highway we're trying to cross. And we got all these cars with their lights on them. And people were getting stuck. And, and half of them didn't get across with the first part that got across. And they couldn't even find where the grave. It was way down on the other side of the road there. Here's my point. If you want to follow somebody, you got to pay attention, but you also got to make sure they know where they're going, right? You got to make sure they know where they're going. We've been in a series for several weeks now, all month long through February. We've been in this series called Love Does. And we've been looking at agape love in Scripture, the love of God for us and how he teaches us. We've been especially looking at 1 John where he teaches us to love like God loves and that God is love. We looked at the fact the first week that God said he's always with us. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. That's agape love, right? It's going to be there no matter what. And then the next week we talked about how we can even be free to fail and still know that we're going to be loved even if we fail. That's agape love. That's, that's deeper than a lot of the surface level what we call love in our culture. And then we talked about how audacious this love was, that it causes you when you love like this to do audacious, crazy, over-the-edge kinds of things like going to a cross for people who are your enemies, right? That's audacious love. That's agape love in Scripture. And last week we talked about how love can take away fear from our lives. He said we don't have to fear judgment. We don't have to fear what anybody in this world can do to us because we're so loved by the Father that he's going to take care of us no matter what. And it takes away the fear. And, that, and all of those elements of agape love are what make marital love what it ought to be. It makes friendship love what it ought to be. All relationships are made better by this agape kind of love. So today we're finishing up this series with a message that I've called Follow Me. It's a call that Jesus made literally in the flesh, walking down the road, seeing some people, and he looked at them and said, come and follow me. So I want to focus on some examples of that, some teachings, some, some things we can learn about Jesus making that call and the people and how they responded to that call and maybe apply it then to our lives on how we respond to Jesus' call to us to follow him. Because here's the thing, when we learn how he loves us, when we really get that, and he says, Follow me. Even though it's going to be risky, it's something you're willing to do because you know how much he loves you. Because you know he's going to take care of you. You're willing to answer the call. So that's the first thing on our outline today. Let's talk, start out with Jesus calls. In Matthew 4, let's look there, beginning with verse 18, we have a Matthew's gospel account of Jesus calling uh, some of his first disciples here. And it seems a little odd to me. And I, and I want you to see if it seems odd to you. Here, here's how it goes. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were 
fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat, and their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, there's some odd things about this to me. You see, the first thing I notice is, even though Jesus calls, he doesn't give any details. Did you notice that? He didn't say, follow me, uh, and we're going to go over here for a while, and then we're going to go there, and I'm going to spend some time teaching you, and I'm going to disciple you, and you're going to be in my life group for the next 10 weeks, you know, or whatever. He didn't go into any details there, right? He just goes up to him and says, follow me. Now, Jesus had just briefly started his ministry at this point. People are just finding out about this guy. And yeah, there's a little bit of a buzz already starting about who this guy might be and how amazing he might be and all of that. And possibly they were always thinking maybe this guy is the Messiah, right? There's always that, that rumor had been around for a long time that certain people might have been the Messiah. None of them have panned out. But now that rumor might be starting about this guy named Jesus. And, and so there's a little bit of a buzz out there, but these guys don't really know Jesus yet. And they don't know exactly what it means when Jesus says, Come follow me. And he doesn't map out for them what that life is going to be like if they do what he's calling on them to do. And the other odd thing is, it says all of these guys were fishermen, right? They're out doing their job. They had a job. It's not like they're jobless and looking for something to do. But as soon as Jesus says, follow me, what do they do? They drop everything to go follow Jesus. They left their jobs. Uh, they left their father, Zebedee, to go follow Jesus. Now that, that says something to me about how much already they had this more than just a word from Jesus calling, but they felt something from God calling them. I don't think any of us just walk away from things like that to something where we don't feel like there's a reason we need to do this. There's a reason we are willing to take this step, take this risk, because it was risky, remember, to just leave everything. You got your livelihood there. It's risky to walk away from that, to go follow this guy that they don't even know really well yet. It tells me something about these guys and where they were already in their hearts and their minds. It tells me that they were already open to the call of God in their lives. They were listening for the call of God in their lives. And the reason that's so important is sometimes we sit around saying, I need to hear a word from God. I, don't, I, I need God to lead me. I need God to direct my path. And we're not ready to hear anything from God. Our hearts aren't prepared. Our minds aren't prepared. All we're wanting is somebody usually to bail us out of a problem. God, fix this problem for me. We're not really listening to hear God. God's will, God's way. There's a difference in saying, God, I want you to fix this for me. And God, I'm willing to follow you wherever you call me to go. 
Is that there a difference in those two things? It's like the difference between saying, my health is poor, I want to get healthier, and actually listening to what somebody tells you and what you need to do to get your health back, and then doing it, right? On one occasion, Jesus came across someone who was sick, he, he, was, he was lame, and he said, ask Jesus to help him. You know what Jesus asked him? Do you want to get well? You see, there's a difference in saying, fix this for me, and saying, I will surrender to whatever you're calling me to do. When Jesus calls, he's calling you, all of you, every part of you. Your way, your will, your old life has to take a back seat and be crucified and put to death so that you can now lead the life he's calling you to. The call of God is a call to completely be transformed by following that teacher we know as Jesus. And and if you're waiting to hear the call of God, here's what I want you to know. He's already been calling you the whole time. He's already prepared the way for you to come and follow after him. He's already made all the necessary arrangements. All the plans are already made for what he's calling you to. But here's the thing. He's not going to give you all those details in advance. And you know why? Because he knows that if you put any conditions on it, you're not really surrendering to following him. You don't have to know all the details in advance to hear and to answer the call of God on your life. In fact, if you think you have to know all the details, you're not ready to hear his call yet. Your heart's not ready, and your mind's not ready. If you think you have to have all the details in advance to follow the call of God in your life. But if you're at that place where you're willing to say, God, I want to hear from you, and you say that with the commitment already, whatever I hear, I will do, that's when you're ready to follow and answer the call. You see, that's what he's looking for from every one of us, right? The call of God on our lives is for us to put our old life behind and start that new life of following him wherever he leads, even though he doesn't tell us in advance where it's going to lead. These men got up and left and followed Jesus. It took them to amazing places. It oftentimes put them at great risk from a worldly viewpoint. But they took the step of saying, wherever this takes us, whatever changes have to be made, whatever sacrifices it calls for, whatever level of commitment it requires, we will come after you, Jesus, and follow you. And the cool thing is, these are just a couple of examples. Jesus did call fishermen to follow him, but he also called tax collectors and a physician and a businesswoman and a teacher and a mother and a prostitute and a philosopher and government officials. He called anybody and everybody to come and follow him. You don't have to meet a certain criteria to know that God is calling you to come after and follow Jesus. Wherever you are right now, whatever your life is like right now, God is calling you to come and follow Jesus. See, that's what the whole Bible is about. It's God calling you. That's why we have the scriptures that we have. That's why he put the church on the earth. And so that call could go out to everybody. 
He's calling you. He's calling me. The question is, what do you do when you hear that call? And sometimes we think we've answered the call because we started going to church. Right? We got baptized, so that means we've answered the call. But are we following Jesus? You see, going to church is only such a small part of following Jesus. Getting baptized, that's, that's like the beginning of following Jesus, but that's just the start. Are we still following Jesus? When it's gotten hard, when we are confused about where he's taking us, when he's asking us to do things we don't like or don't agree with, are we still following then? Because the second thing on your outline today is this, not everyone follows when he calls. Not everyone follows when he calls. There's a great example of that in Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 17. Here's, here's another time Jesus calls. It says, Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So what's he saying he wants? Eternal life. He says, that's what I want, Jesus. Tell me what I got to do to have eternal life. Jesus answers in a way that might be a little confusing to the guy. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I think Jesus is trying to get him to see, you know who you're talking to, man? You're talking to God. You're calling me good? Then you need to recognize I am God. I am the good one. Okay? Then he said, you know the commandments, because that's the way they were thinking right then in their culture. If you follow the rules, you get eternal life, right? Just follow the rules, keep the law. He says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He, and the guy, it's like he interrupts Jesus. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Now, first of all, how true do you think that is? Now, in his mind, he had kept all of those since he was a boy. But how many people actually kept the law perfectly their whole lives? None of us. Okay. So, first of all, he's confused about the fact that he's followed all these things his whole life. He hasn't. But he thinks he has. Okay. So, Jesus looked at him. But I love this next phrase. And loved him. You see, we think when we mess up, Jesus looks at us how? anger wanting to punish us right but this guy is confused and how does Jesus see him he looked at him and he loved him he really cares about this guy he wants good for this person says he looked at him he loved him and he said this go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come and do what what does he say next follow me now people get confused and pastors abuse this passage to get you to sell everything and give them their, your money, right? That's not what Jesus is saying everybody needs to do. He's addressing this young man and the problem he's dealing with. He's wealthy, and he says, I want eternal life, and I want to follow you, Jesus, so I can have eternal life. But what's really ruling his life? Money, wealth, possessions. You see, it's one thing to say, I love God, I want to follow him. It's another thing for you to mean what it's supposed to mean when you decide to follow him. It means you start putting him first in every area of your life. If money's your problem, that's where you need to put God first. If, if uh, other uh, problems or struggles in your life are keeping you from following, those are the things you've got to, to put. You've got to put God ahead of those things, whatever it is, to follow him. 
said, go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Because then your allegiance will be clearly defined. Then you will really be able to do what you're saying when you say, I'm following you. you know, when you say, I'm following Jesus, it means in every area of your life. Including your finances and whatever else there is. Look at verse 22. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad. Why? Because he had great wealth, the scripture says. It's after this, Jesus teaches about how hard it is for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. But he says, with God, everything's possible. Rich people can get into heaven. But what do they have to put first? God. See, it's not about whether you have money or don't have money. It's about putting God first, really following him where he's leading you. You can follow him with a lot of money. You can follow him with a little money. You can follow him with no money. It's not about the amount of money. It's about whether or not you're putting your pursuit of Jesus ahead of everything else. Whether or not you're paying attention to him and his teachings and applying them to your life as the priority of your life or you're letting other things control your decisions in your life. Following him means he comes first. And we say, well, that's not my problem. Now, here's the thing. People make all kinds of excuses about why they don't really follow Jesus the way he's telling us to. We make all kinds of excuses about why we live outside of his teaching and his will clearly defined in Scripture. But we make excuses about why we have to do it that way, right? That's nothing new. That's been going on the whole time. Look at Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 57. Since they were walking along the road... A man said to him, to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now why does Jesus even bring that up? It's because he knows these guys aren't going to want to leave their nice houses, their nice homes to follow him. They're not going to want to give that up. And Jesus is not going to do the bait and switch thing. You know the bait and switch? You could buy this car for $100 down and $150 a month. And you get there and it's a junker or it's after you put $10,000 down. You can do that or something, right? They've got, they've got these little technicalities they have to throw in there. It's a bait and switch. kind. Of, Jesus didn't play the bait and switch game. He told them right up front, if you want to follow me, you've got to understand what it means to follow me. He said to another man, follow me, right? So he's, he's called this guy to come follow him. Here's what the guy said. Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now that sounds pretty legit, right? Let me go bury my father, then maybe I'll follow you, Jesus, after I take care of that. The problem is, the way this is written in the original language, the implication is his father's not dead yet. And even if he was, that doesn't excuse Jesus' call to follow him. He's saying, I understand that what you're doing here is just trying to find a loophole. You're trying to make an excuse where you think it's okay not to follow me because of something else that's going on in your life right now. We see it all the time in our culture today. But, but I don't feel like being abstinent from sex until I'm married, right? That's not the way our culture does it in our day and age. But Jesus says, follow me going to follow Jesus what does that mean it means his teachings his teachings about sex yeah it means that too 
money, sex, whatever area of your life that right now may be outside of the teaching of God. When he says, come follow me, he's saying, bring that under my teaching. Bring that under my authority. Do this the way I've taught you to do it. Now, here's the thing that sounds that sounds so difficult. And I'm not saying it's easy. What I'm saying is, is when you understand how much he loves you, it becomes possible for you to take that risk, to take that step. Because when you know how much he loves you, you know he's not asking you to do that with any intent except to bless you and give you the very best life he can give you. That's the only reason he's asking any of us to do any of the stuff he asks us to do in his word. So if you follow Jesus, you're following somebody that you know loves you that way, so you are more willing then to do it the way he's teaching you to do it instead of the way the world is teaching you to do it or the way your flesh wants to do it, right? Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Did he let them get by with the excuse? Nope. Let the dead bury their own dead. In other words, if you want life the way I want you to have it, you let other people take care of that. You come follow me. You don't make that the priority of your life. You know the number one excuse for people not being actively involved in church, you know what it is? Family obligations. That's the number one excuse for not being actively involved in the life of the church. We got all these family obligations. You know, your kids are involved in that, and we got these bills we got to pay. We got all this stuff. We can't, we can't do that right now, right? Because, but wait till we get all that worked out. Then we'll, we'll start doing it God's way once we get all that stuff worked out. It's supposed to work the opposite way. You start following Jesus, and guess what he does? He helps you work on those other things to get them worked out the way they're supposed to be worked out. I saw this meme posted on Facebook the other day. I thought it was good. Uh, the way it ought to work is church should be your excuse for missing other activities instead of the other way around. You see the difference in those two things? Jesus says, come follow me. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Family obligations, right? You know, I got family obligations. I, I, I will follow you, Jesus, but let me, let me take care of that stuff first. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And some people misunderstand that verse too. Jesus is saying you're not fit in the sense of you're not worthy or anything. None of us are worthy. What he's saying is you don't fit into the kingdom of God if you let family responsibilities come ahead of your commitment to God. You don't fit into the kingdom of God that way. He's not saying you shouldn't love your family. He's not saying you don't have a responsibility to take care of your family. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the only way you can do that the way God is pleased with is when you put God first for your family. You make that the priority. You see, I hear people say all the time, well, my mama died or my daddy died and they were my whole world. Well, you had it wrong. If they were your whole world. God's supposed to be your whole world. Your commitment to him. Is supposed to be your whole world. Not your children. Not even your spouse. Not your parents. God. Now here's the cool thing. When you make God first. Your relationship with your parents. And with your spouse. And with your kids. All under the teaching of God first. 
All those relationships are strengthened and made better when you do it that way. But when you get those things out of order, it's always going to let you down because those people, those relationships cannot meet the needs in your life that only God can meet in your life. They can't. And if you're putting that pressure on them to make those voids in your life be filled up by them, then you're going to destroy your relationships with them because they cannot do for you what God can do for you. They cannot. So Jesus says, come follow me. It means he gets to be first. You see, if you're going to follow somebody, what place in line do they have to be? First. That's the only way to follow him is if you let him be up front. You let him lead. That's the only way to follow him. If he's in the back, you never know where he's going, right? You can't put him second or third and follow him. You have to put him first. But here's the cool thing I want to close with today. I just want to challenge you. When talking about love of God and how it changes our lives and what it does for us. Friends, I want you to understand how much he loves you so you don't miss the grand adventure of following Jesus in your life. I don't want you to miss out on the grand adventure of following Jesus. You remember Ephesians 2.10, it said this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Think about that. God has a call on your life, and He's already lined up in advance the good stuff that He wants you to do, that He's going to do through you. When you listen to and respond to His call, then He's already planned out good stuff that He wants to do in your life, through you, in the world. The core foundation I've become familiar with in the last several years, a friend of mine, Dennis Bratton, and his wife, Brenda, I got to know Dennis when he was preaching at a church down in Jacksonville, Florida. He had a great ministry there. After 33 years as senior pastor of that church in Jacksonville, Florida, he was given a copy of a book. He retired from that church, and he was given a copy of the book called The Poor Will Be Glad. When he read that book, it hit him that, that God wasn't finished with him. He still had a lot that God planned in advance for him to do. So he, he saw how in Haiti, the poorest country in the world, by the way, in Haiti, how they could do something instead of just sending more money and more money. We have sent billions of dollars to Haiti for a long, long time, and nothing has changed there. It's still the poorest country in the world. So he said, what can we do different? This is not working. And he, he learned that what God wants is for us to help people be lifted out of poverty so that that they can take care of themselves. And so he started the CORE Foundation. And they started looking for sustainable solutions to extreme poverty that got them to not have to depend on, on people giving them handouts the rest of their lives. And so we partnered with them a while back, and, and we've done it a couple of times where they actually found out that if they could do little business startups for people in Haiti... And they started out with chicken coops, of all things. You think, well, what have chicken coops got to do with the work of God? Well, they funded them building chicken coops and getting their first chickens and getting the training they needed to raise chickens. You know what? They did it through the local church so that it could be connected to Christ and Christ's provision and, and honor Him. And they picked people in the churches and they gave them the startup loan and helped them start their businesses. And you know what their failure rate has been on these businesses? Zero percent failure rate. Those people that have done those businesses are now not only taking care of their own families, they're supporting their local churches and they're helping their own country and they're not asking for any more handouts. And they've all repaid back every loan that's been made. You see, God had it planned already. This guy was retiring, he thought, and God still had a plan to do some good stuff 
in his life. Back here in Nashville in May of 2010, you remember what happened in May of 2010? The Great Flood, right? Not Noah's Flood, but close, right? (laughs) We had a huge flood here in Nashville. It was a historic event. And there were people all around Nashville that were suffering. And right here in our own community, it hit really hard down where Mill Creek flooded. And several churches and organizations all came together. And Lakeshore was on the front line, joining in with those other churches to help out those people in responding to the flood. We became ground zero, ground central for, for the outreach in this area. And, and, and homes and schools and churches and businesses all started coming together and working together. And... And they started what was called Southeast Nashville Recovery. I'm so glad our church was on the ground floor of that and helping to do that. But it wasn't just Lakeshore. It was, it was a lot of other people too. And we came together and we saw the need there and we started helping out with rebuilding home, clearing out the homes that were damaged and helping them to rebuild or relocate if they needed to relocate and get stuff to start their lives over again. But after all that was done, you know what we realized? There was still a great need out there that really came to the surface during that time especially among immigrant families that had come to Nashville and they were trying not to always need handouts. They were trying to get on their own feet and take care of their own families. So we started a food pantry that became known as The Branch. There were two ladies especially that started that effort, Melissa Thomas and Liz Minor. They had been involved the whole time. And and then they established The Branch Food Pantry. And Lakeshore was a, a part of helping with getting that started too and supporting that with food donations and money. And Families that still needed some food assistance after the flood were able to get some there. But then they discovered, you know what? What we're doing here will only be good if we help them get beyond that, needing food help. You know what they discovered was really needed? English classes for the immigrants when they got here. Because if they could learn English, they could communicate with their children's schools. They could communicate with potential employers and get jobs that they were trying to get. Many of them were very skilled workers, but they couldn't communicate in English, so it was hard for them to get a job. And so they started English classes there. And today, after completing all that work and getting that going, they're still tweaking it and trying to do a better job with getting people on their own feet. Today, on average, four to 500 families receive food help from the branch each month, but 250 students on average are enrolled in ESL classes at the branch now. And some of those very people that started out in the first classes are now back there volunteering and helping others because they can now take care of their own families and they want to help some others. See, what I want you to understand is, is God has prepared in advance good work that we need to be doing. But we've got to be listening to his call. Jesus is calling us, but are we in our minds and in our hearts open and listening to his call in our lives? The list goes on and on. Youth for Christ here in Nashville. Uh, Jeff Schicks, our senior high youth pastor at this campus, is, is the director of the Nashville branch of Youth for Christ. Do you realize it got started back in the 1940s during World War II with some youth revivals that took place? And you know who was the first full-time employee for Youth for Christ? Billy Graham. <laughs> Jeff Schicks came a little later. Billy Graham got his start preaching the gospel regularly through Youth for Christ. You see, God has prepared in advance. And you're listening when you're open, when you're willing to be obedient without knowing the details. Billy Graham had no clue the details of where that was going to take him, right? When he started doing that. And everybody sitting in this room, 
Everybody at Smyrna campus, everybody listening online, God is calling every one of us to do the good work that he's prepared in advance for us to do. And here's the thing. When you know how much God loves you, you're willing to step out and do it and be obedient to what he's calling you to. And when you love like God loves you, then you're willing to take risk to love the people God has called you to love. And you're willing to make sacrifices to love the people God has called you to love. The list goes on and on. Today, I'm going to close with this. My time is up, according to my timer. It's flashing red. I turned off the buzzer so you wouldn't hear that. Today, 29 years ago, I preached my first sermon at Lakeshore Christian Church with 45 people sitting there that day. And the church had gone through a lot of struggles. But there was a core group that made a commitment. We'll do whatever God's calling us to do to reach this community and make an impact for Christ. And during the time since then, we've baptized over 1,500 people into Christ. We've taught God's word to thousands more locally and over the internet. Hundreds have rededicated their lives to Christ. Marriages have been strengthened and saved. Families and individuals have been helped financially and with food and clothing and shelter. Hundreds of people have been counseled in the word of God and prayed for. And the list could go on and on and on. And the key is it can only happen because people listen to God's call on their lives. And started doing the good stuff God prepared in advance for them to do. You see, I think, I think God's calling us to do much, much more than what has already been accomplished. The worst thing a church could do is start living in the past and just celebrating past victories. I've got no plans to live in the past as a pastor. And I'm thankful for all that good stuff that God has done through our church. But the world still needs the good work that God is calling us all to do. Maybe now more than ever in this country. Our country needs the church and the witness and the ministry of the church. So I want to close with this. God is calling you to do that. In John 1, 43, it said this. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and finding Philip, he said, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Philip said this to Nathaniel, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. But listen to Jesus' reply. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. And he added this, you will see greater things than that. I'm convinced that if we will listen and follow God's call today as Lakeshore Christian Church, as those who may want to come and be a part of this, we're going to see greater things in the days ahead than we've ever seen before. But we've got to be open in our hearts and our minds to hearing the call of Jesus and responding obediently. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that today we've been reminded of your call on our lives.
But Father, I know. I know the temptation right away is to make excuses. There may be people today hearing the message who who haven't yet responded, haven't made a profession of faith, they haven't been baptized yet, and they're making every excuse in the world why they don't need to go ahead and do that. But Father, I pray that they would know your love to be so great for them that nothing could stop them if they need to respond to that call. For those initial steps that need to be taken to come into that relationship where they're going to follow Jesus. But I pray for those of us who've already been baptized into Christ that that we would not think that that call has limits on it. That we can make excuses to only go so far, or only do certain things, or only accept certain challenges. But instead, we would be wholly and completely given over to your call in our lives. Because I know that you've prepared in advance good stuff that you yet want to do in us and through us, individually and corporately together as your church. Father, may we be the people who answer that call. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.